Well, good morning, good morning. It's good to see you here today. And if you are a visitor with us, a special welcome to you. If you're tuning online for the first time, thankful that you're tuning in. Hope to meet you face to face in the next couple weeks. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. Uh, if you are new to Christianity or new to God's word, we believe that this is God's word to us that leads us and guides us. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we have some actually out in our Welcome Center. We'd love for you to take one of those as a gift, free, for you to start to read and start to understand that a little bit. And if you're having a, an opportunity to share your faith with somebody else and they don't have a Bible, please take one of those with you and use that today. But we're grateful to have you here today if you are new to Christianity or new to the church. Uh, if you are new to this church specifically, my name is Ryan, and you just saw our mission statement uh, just roll up on the screen there. This is what we're about as a church. We are here to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. That's what we're about. And so if you're like, is this a church for me? Is this really where I want to fit? This is our vision statement. This is what we're about. And that word disciples there, when we talk about making more and better disciples, that is followers of Jesus. We want more people to hear the good news of the hope of Jesus. At the same time, we want to grow and mature to become better disciples, better followers of Christ in our faith. And our destination, our goal is that we would do that from our neighborhoods here in Charlotte to the nations around the world. That's what we're praying for. And if, um, if you were here the last few weeks, you saw we walked through this mission statement. We've talked about it through several different sermons. And if you missed those, hop on our iTunes account and you can look through there and find those sermons and listen to them because we break down what it means for us to glorify God and all these different things. But last week, we just finished up a, a brief little three-week prayer series. Because if you remember, we, we looked at our vision statement, but we're like, we cannot do this apart from Christ. We cannot do this apart from him. We would labor in vain to say, we want to do all this for, for you, Lord. We want people to believe from neighborhoods to nations. We cannot do it apart from Jesus. And so we were praying as a church and specifically challenging us to pray three things. God's protection over our church, God's provision for our church, and that God would propel us forward on mission for Jesus. And those prayers are not just for the last three weeks. My desire is that we would look at that and as a congregation, we would pray those things for all of 2021. That we would pray, God, would you work in amazing ways? But at the same time, what I want us to do today is take a little shift in gears because it's not just, God, would you move, but God, would you move and use us for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we want to be a part, we want to have a privilege of serving you and seeing you change lives for all of eternity. And so, yes, we want to pray and continue to pray, God, apart from you, we can do nothing. But at the same time, we ask, God, would you please use us. May we be a generous people to be used by you for your glory and your fame. And so we're going to talk about generosity for the next few weeks and I know that this is very delicate uh, uh, road that I walk on right now when we talk about generosity. And if you're new, maybe you're thinking, oh, I've been to church before, all I want is my money, that's all about. No, that's not what we're all about. Uh, there's a lot of times these walls and shields that go up when we think of generosity with our time, because we're busy people, with our finances, and even with the abilities God has given us. But my desire, even today with the few minutes that we have, is that this delicate land that we would walk on through God's word would become a delight for us to walk on. 
Because God desires for us to think about generosity and what God would call us to do to be a part of his kingdom and to see that come forward. Because I believe wholeheartedly a vision only goes as far as our prayer lives and our generosity. It'll go no further. And so we as a church want to be a prayerful people and a generous people. And when we talk about generosity, the amazing thing about it is we'll talk about money, we'll talk about time, we'll talk about our gifts and our abilities. But it's interesting because Jesus said that when he talks about money specifically and generosity, it's ultimately about our hearts. This series is not a series about your wallet or your bank account, ultimately. Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I want us to see that it's about our, our spiritual health of our heart, but it's honestly about our physical health as well. As I've been researching and, and, and looking at this this week, it's been amazing to see all the different reports and articles and research that, that has been done over this. And there's one book written by a professor at Notre Dame, um, and it's called The Paradox of Generosity. This book is, it's, it's got a lot of interesting things in there, but the, the man who wrote it, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, his name is Christian, uh, Christian Smith, but he just looked at generosity as a whole, not necessarily within the church, but just generosity as, as, a, as a people, specifically in America. And he looked through all different demographics and through different um, social statuses and different ages. He looked at all of that, and what was interesting is he found a correlation in this book between our health and our generous lifestyle. It was unbelievable. I mean, in this book, he, 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 he's walking through there and he said that the correlation he found is as people were more generous consistently, so not somebody that just gives once and then moves on and maybe I'll give again, but somebody who had a lifestyle of generosity, this is what he found, this is the correlation. He said, by every measure of happiness, both in bodily health and our purpose in living, in avoiding depression, and our personal growth, these people who were generous were substantially higher than everyone else in the world. They even found in this study that generosity was a better predictor of how long you would live. What? I mean, this book is basically saying your quality of life and your quantity of life is better when you are a generous person. And once again, this is going back to what Jesus had already said. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I want us to see today that this is totally countercultural, totally countercultural than what our world is saying. And I hope in just a few minutes as we walk through this passage that we would see that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because our culture and our world will tell you, you will feel better, you'll be more healthy if you get more stuff. If you can have a better car and a better house and more finances, if you can just get more, then you'll be happy. And Jesus' economy is incredibly different from what our world is preaching. And so let's look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1 and go through verse 9. It says, we, we want you to know, brothers, which is important, that brothers there speaking to Christians. So if you're a non-believer in the room today, you get to hear in a little bit of the generosity of Christ. But know that 
this section is speaking specifically to Christians today. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, that was another leader in the church, that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our, favor, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this is not a command, but to prove by earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Now, verse 9, I believe, is one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. So don't miss this verse. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for the beauty of this passage. We pray that this passage today would um, convict us, but at the same time would comfort us. Lord, thank you for this beauty, the example that you have given of your generosity. Being rich, you became poor for our sake. So God, give us understanding. Open our minds to see your word, and I pray that it would be a delight to us today to walk through this section of scripture to talk about how we can be a part of your kingdom that echoes into all of eternity. And I would encourage you now just to take a moment in this silence just to pray to the Lord and ask him to speak to you through this passage today. Take a moment now and pray. And then pray for me that this time that we spend looking at God's word, that I would be helpful to you uh, as we look at this passage. Pray for me now. Lord, we need you today. So be with us, we pray. Amen. Well, this passage that we're looking at this morning is foundational to all of generosity, I believe, for all of Scripture, all of the Bible. And so I hope that we can build a firm foundation rooted in the generosity of Christ today and in the weeks ahead, a few weeks ahead, that we'll build this house of generosity with a biblical understanding of what God desires for you and for me um, as we look at this passage. And so I love this. It's foundational because I think it answers a lot of the questions that we ask there's three questions I want us to, to ask and to answer from this passage today. And the first is, when should we be generous? When should we be generous? When should we live generously? 
And if I were writing the Bible, it would look much different than what God's Word says. If I were writing the Bible, my response would, when should we be generous, would be, well, when I have an excess. Like when I have a lot and an abundance and it's overflowing and there's so much money in my bank account and my retirement that I'm like, I just don't know what else to do. I've just, I've got to give it away. I just, I've got so much money. That's, that would have been my answer to when should we be generous. But God's word here highlights these churches in Macedonia, which if you're familiar with the Bible, this would be like Philippi and, and Thessalonians. Um, that's the, the, the churches that he's speaking of right here, that they have been generous. And there's this math equation here, whether you saw it or not, that does not equate, does not add up right. If you look at verse 2, speaking of their generosity, it says they've given in their generosity, when, when was the season? When they had an abundance? Verse 2, in a severe test of affliction. Okay, so they have affliction going on. And then you look a little bit further, and in their extreme poverty, and you're like, wait a second, this is not, this is not what I would have thought. Like, you've got affliction plus extreme poverty equals their abundance of joy and an overflowing wealth of generosity. This does not add up. This does not make sense. These people are giving in their affliction and in their pain. I mean, at this time, the, the area of Macedonia was, was a war-torn area. They had seen so many wars go through there, and they had been pillaged by the Romans. There was oppression that was going on economically at this time with high taxes. I mean, this was not an area of health, wealth, and happiness. It just wasn't. But yet there's something that transcends happiness in their heart. They have an abundance of joy, even in the midst of their affliction. And in their extreme poverty, they've overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Even though their prosperity may have dried up, their joy and their generosity was overflowing. This is, this is an amazing picture of what generosity looks like. It might seem easier for us to give in those seasons of spring and our finances, but God's word saying, even in those seasons of winter, be generous with your time. Be generous with your finances. Be generous with your abilities. And serve and give for the good of others. And I don't know about you, but as I read this, I'm like, how is this possible? Like, how can, God, how can you move my heart to a place that I would give in every season of life? With joy and with an overflowing abundance. And the only way for us to have this life of generosity is it has to just transcend our circumstances. And in this passage, not once, not twice, just in those few verses, five times, it tells us what drove them to live lives of generosity. Did you see it in there? And in these two chapters, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, it's all about generosity and it's used nine times in these two chapters. The way that they're able to give like this is it's a gift from God. It's an act of grace. Grace is mentioned over and over and over again. In verse 1 it starts and it says, hey, I want you to know, church in Corinth, I want you to know about the grace of God. 
And then you look at verse 6. This is going to be completed. How? By an act of grace. This is a gift that God has given them. God has placed this in their hearts and in their lives that they could live this way. It wasn't there. It wasn't something that they unearthed and they're like, oh yeah, generosity was there at my heart all the time. No, it just wasn't there. There, The human heart doesn't lean that direction of generosity. We just don't. God places it in our heart. And he can do that because he is the source of all generosity. He gave everything for you and for me. And so this grace, this gift that God has given, he puts it in our hearts and then it overflows out of our hearts into our lives that we'd be generous in every area of our lives. We can only do this by the power of God. See, generosity many times is things that we don't see. We can't even tangibly hold sometimes with how we spend our time and our money. But the grace that God gives us is a visible display of what generosity is to a world that can't see it. God gives us this gift of generosity so that we would be generous people pointing to him. The heartbeat of the Lord is a generous God. And he just sang that song, Gracious Redeemer. He's a gracious Redeemer. He gives to us grace because it flows from him. So generosity, it's a visible sign of an invisible grace. So those of us that have experienced the grace of God and forgiveness in our lives, there should be a tangible expression of grace and gratitude in our lives. So how does that look? How does that look in our lives? How does God want us to live and act so that people say there's something different about him? How he spends his time and how he spends his money and even the things that he thinks about look different. He's a generous person. How does God want us to live? How does God want us to act in that way? And before we answer that question, I want to speak to two, I guess, kind of feelings or hearts in this moment. Some of us are just worried. We hear about generosity and the reason those shields go up in our lives is because we're like, God, I just, I don't know what to do here. I've got, I've got my own problems. And you're just anxious all the time about your finances. It's just there at your heart. Like if that's one sin in your life, you can say, that's what I worry about. I don't worry about anything else. But when it comes to my finances, I, I worry and I fret. And so when you talk about generosity, like you're hitting at some of my deepest fears and worries and anxieties. I want you to know that Jesus has spoke to, to my heart in that, and he wants to speak to your heart. In Matthew chapter 6, he tells you, those of you that are worried about your daily needs, what you have, and if, are you going to have enough, and am I going to be able to pay the bills? Jesus says, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about them. Why? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. He's like, don't worry about it because I own it all. And so if you're worried about it and you're trying to find the source of provision, come to me. I have it all. I own it all. Everything that you think you owe, that's just, it's mine that I'm allowing you to steward. I'm allowing you to use. He's like, so don't worry. If you're worried, come to me and trust in me. Your money will fail you and forsake you and let you down. And that worry that you have is only going to grow unless you come to me. And I will give you peace. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. So if you're worried, I would even encourage you to read that passage in Matthew chapter 6 this week and say, Jesus, my heart's not there. I don't want to be generous. I'm worried. God, help me. He loves prayers like that. That's why he tells us this stuff in his word. To speak to some of the greatest fears and insecurities we have in our hearts. But to the other extreme, to those that are doing well and you're in that season of spring and finances in your life and you're doing well, my caution for you is I would just say make sure you have a grasp on your money and your money doesn't have a grasp on you. It's so easy to ask God blesses us and we have more finances that it starts to overwhelm our heart in a negative sense. John D. Rockefeller um, was one of the most influential men in his time and actually the richest man in the world for his time. He was in the oil industry. Currently, there are four different oil companies that came out of his oil company that he started. Exxon, Amoco, Mobil, Chevron, all of these came from John D. Rockefeller starting up this oil company. And what was interesting is he was being interviewed one time, and the person that was interviewing him asked him the question. He says, how much money does it take to make someone happy? You're the richest person in the world. You have all the money compared to everybody else. You're the richest person in the world. How much money will make someone happy? Because you've had it all. And he said, one more dollar. Just one more dollar will make me happy. And you can live your whole life thinking that money is going to satisfy. The more I get, not the more I can be generous and give, the more I get, the more I'm going to find happiness. And this is a man that was the richest man at his time. He's like, if I could just get one more dollar, then I would be content. And then I would be happy. So it's, it's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not. Even in this passage, you see that God was rich and God was wealthy, right? There's no sin in, in wealth. But it's when it's gripped our hearts instead of us gripping our money to use as a tool for his kingdom and his glory. So whether you're, you're worried or whether you're blessed right now, be generous with what God has given you. Now, how does God want us to be generous? How does God want us to give? What does it look like? And there's four descriptions in this passage of the people, maybe five if you want to break one in half, but, but mainly four that I want us to see as we unpack. God, how do you desire for us to be generous people? What does it look like for us? And the first is it needs to be willing. How should we be generous? Give willingly. Did you see that in this text? In verse 3, it says, they gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor, or your Bible might say privilege, of taking part in the relief of the saints. <laughs> I read that and it blows my mind. Because maybe some of you are, are way holier than I am. But when you were coming to church today, I hope you were excited to come here to worship and glorify God. I hope you were. But maybe you were thinking... Man, I hope we sing that song again that we sang last week, that Gracious Redeemer. Like, I hope we sing that. I am pumped to sing that song again. Or I hope they sing in Christ Alone or some song you wanted them to sing and you're excited about singing that song. Or I don't know what passage they, they're going to preach on, but I'm just excited to open up God's word. Like, I hope it speaks to me and encourages me. I want to worship God through his word this morning. Maybe that's what's excited you this morning. But I doubt any of us came in and were like, I can't wait until I get to give in the giving box on the way out. I, I'm pumped to do that. 
I'm excited to do that. I don't know how many of you are like, this week when I get online and I give, like, I cannot wait to give. And you're excited about worshiping God in that way. Maybe none of us have ever felt that way. But God, through his act of grace in these people's lives, they, they have that feeling there. No one made them give. They gave of their own accord. And they begged for the favor of doing this. Why would you ever beg for the favor of giving? It tells us because they saw it was for relief of the saints. Have you, have you ever looked at your giving and thought, man, this is a relief to someone else? Someone who has a financial need, I'm giving, and the, and the church is able to support them. Or missionaries that, that are around the world, I, I'm giving, and this is a relief for them. They're concerned. They're saying, God, how are you going to provide? He's going to provide for these missionaries through you. And that's why we have these, these pictures out here over our giving boxes, because we want you to see and know where your money goes and how it supports and cares for the relief of the saints so they can work in the ministry and grow the kingdom of God. This is what God is asking us to do. Give willingly. But he also says give with, with joy. There should be a sense of joy and excitement that comes for us in our giving. And one chapter later, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, you'll see it on the screen, or you can open up your Bible and, and read it, but, but look at this passage. It says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver, and God's is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We should have joy in our giving. Why? Because that the work of grace is being done in our heart. God has provided everything we need. Sufficiency for all times, abounding in every good work. God says have joy in giving. Have joy in knowing that you're... You're serving others. The gospel is going forth to those that don't know. And give, not under compulsion and guilt. That's not what Paul's preaching. That's not what God's word is, is saying to you today. He wants you to give out of the abundance of joy of your heart. And if you give today out of guilt, it will only lead you so far. If you give out of guilt, it will, your generosity will ultimately leave you. But if you give out of grace and joy, your generosity will continue indefinitely. We've all experienced the give out of guilt mentality. And it doesn't last long. You've experienced it. And I'll tell you how you've experienced it. It's because you've seen those commercials where like, you adopt a dog and a cat. Y'all seen these, right? Like, you watch these videos, and it just rips your heart out, right? Like, you just feel so guilty. Like, oh, somebody's got to save that dog, and somebody's got to save that cat. And so, it's not me. It's got to be somebody. And so, you go and you adopt these cats and dogs, and then regret hits your heart real quick. Of like, oh my goodness, now I'm, I'm stuck with this animal. And I love animals. My sister, they saw a my sister and, and, and brother-in-law, they saw a box of cats on the side of the road that somebody had abandoned. And it just gripped their heart. And out of guilt, they pulled over to, to help these, these cats. 
And now my sister is the crazy cat lady, and she has nine cats at home, and she can't get rid of them. So if you want a cat today, it's free. But anyway, she's just looking at it, and she's like, gosh, yeah, it just tugs on your heart. But it only lasts for so long. But when the grace of God stirs your heart up, it changes how you look at your finances. And you can look with joy and say, man, I want to be a part of that. I see how it's bringing relief to those around the world. And I want to be a part of that. But another word of caution here is don't allow your generosity to be cause-centered. There are a lot of great causes and a lot of causes we should give to. But don't let it be cause-centered. But as Christians, let them be Christ-centered. Let them be Christ-centered. That's what the people did in this passage. Look, they gave towards Christ. Look at verse 5. It says here, uh, and this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves, where? First to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And I love here, it doesn't say that they gave their money first to the Lord, or they gave their time first to the Lord. It says they gave themselves first to the Lord. We have to understand this. Generosity is about a lifestyle of giving. It's not just about your wallet. It's not just about your time. It's about being generous and giving yourself to others. And that's the hard part. Man, I can give of my wallet and move on and never think again. Man, when I have to give of myself, that's costly. And they didn't first give themselves to the church. I mean, they gave themselves to the Lord. And as they gave themselves to the Lord, then by the will of God to others. God changed their, their heart and their life from the inside out, and then it flowed into this generosity into others' lives. They gave towards Christ. I mean, if you get to the point where you're like, how much do I have to give so I can just be done with this? Like, what is the number? That's honestly many times a very selfish question because you're thinking what's the minimum I can give to get out of this so there's no guilt or shame it's about joy it's about grace that we give to the Lord we give of ourselves first to him and as we give ourselves to the Lord and we give ourselves to other we should grow in this did you notice that in the text in verse 7 he tells them Hey, I want you to excel in everything in your life. I want you to excel in your faith and in your speech and in your knowledge and in your love. He says, I want you to grow and excel in all of those different areas. And we love to have classes on those different areas. We love to hear God's word taught on how I can grow my faith, how I can speak better in my prayers and pray and share the gospel better. How can I grow my knowledge of the Bible? I want to study and I want to know more. But then at the very end of that verse, it says, but also see that you excel in this act of grace. That's the act of generosity. And we look at that and we're like, no, I, no, I, the other ones are good. I don't want to sign up for this one, right? Like, I, I don't want to excel in my, my giving. That's not what I'm, I'm looking for. I want that to remain the same. Let's talk about all these, other, all these other areas and let's grow in that. But God's like, no, 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 continue to grow in your giving. I've caught myself thinking this, that sometimes God is like a tax man, right? I've got to pay my taxes to God, keep them off my back. Hopefully there's never an audit. 
but I hope never that the taxes are raised. I don't want my taxes raised at all. I just want to be able to pay them and be done and move on. God is not a tax man looking over your shoulder saying, you better pay those taxes to me. No, he's a gracious father who gave everything for us. Romans 8.32 says it like this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give to him generously all things? If you're worried about God being a tax man that's taking from you, you have the wrong picture of who God is. God gave up everything for us. He gave his own son to come and die on the cross for you and I. He is not a hoarder. He is a generous God that has given it all for you and me. And so, yes, he comes to us and he's like, I want you to be generous because I want you to be like your dad. If you're going to claim to be a child of God, but be generous like your father is. This is who our God is. So let us give willingly. Let us give with joy. Let us give to Christ. Knowing that he is the one who has given it all for us. Which, what, which is what leads us to our last question to answer. Why should we be generous? Why, God? And some of us, maybe before today or maybe even today, you say, why should we be generous? Because God commanded it, Ryan. He commanded it. So that's why I've got to give. That's why I've got to be generous. And yes, we could go to the Old Testament. We could look at passages in the law where God had given commands. I mean, we can look at the tithe, which someone says is 10%, and you can... You can give 10%. And, and the New Testament, though, never once mentions the command of tithing like that. Jesus talks and interacts with people that, that talk about tithing. And he doesn't speak ill of it. He doesn't say don't tithe anymore. He doesn't. But I think there's a new and a higher standard for giving than what we saw in the Old Testament. It's the standard of Christ standard of Christ. That's what Paul does here. Did you see this? Paul doesn't command them. Look at verse 8. He says, I don't command you to give like this. I, I, I don't. And so I'm not going to do what Paul did. I'm not going to sit here and say, you better give your 10% to the church or else God, the tax man, is coming for you. If Paul, being an apostle, had, had more authority than I had to come and say, you better give, and he doesn't, then I'm sure not going to do it. I'm not. What Paul does here is he says, hey, it's not a command that you give. But it's going to show your love for the Lord. And it's going to show that you know the generosity of our God. This is the God who, though he was rich, rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Jesus is our new model of what generosity should look like for a Christian. This is how we give. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Minute, Just think about the richness of Jesus. Because we have this picture of Jesus when he came to earth and how, you know, he didn't have a place to lay his head. And so we got this picture of like poor, humble, homeless Jesus. That's what we picture in our mind of who Jesus is. But that's not who he was. Jesus was rich in a kingdom whose streets were made of gold, right? And he gave all of that up to come to earth. To be born in a manger. A manger. Like, he didn't even have a crib. Those of you that have kids, you put a whole room together, right? Like, you have decorations on the wall. You spend all this money on a crib. You make sure everything is perfect. You find the right mattress. It's not too hard. It's not too soft. 
No, not for Jesus. He gave that up, and he was born in an animal feeding trough. He was rich, and he became poor. He had perfect health. Think about that. Physically, Jesus, the immortal God, never created, was before the existence of all the world in the triune God. He was there, immortal, and he took on flesh, the fragile humanity he took on. He got sick. He had pain. He took all of that on, becoming poor when he was physically rich in heaven for all of eternity. He was spiritually rich on top of that. He was holy, he was righteous, and he gave it up as he came and became sin on our behalf. Scripture tells us that he became sin who knew no sin. Why? So that you and I could be saved. That we would have hope for all of eternity. He gave up the spiritual richness for our salvation. So yes, physically he was rich, spiritually he was rich, and he forsook it all for you and for me, this passage tells us. And as he did that, as he went from his riches to rags, we went from rags to riches. And this is not me preaching a prosperity gospel right now. And if you'll just give, then God's going to multiply your money and you'll be rich. That's not what I'm saying. The riches that is promised to us in verse 9 is much more true and genuine and real than that. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, you have real riches. You have the riches of adoption. He'll bring you into his family. Not just for a moment, but for all of eternity. You have the riches of acceptance. He will never, ever forsake you or fail you. You have the riches of righteousness. And he exchanges those for your rags of wickedness. You have the riches of power that he puts his spirit in you if you trust in him. You have the riches of true liberty. He will break the chains of addiction in your life. You have the riches of life. He descended into the grave that we might be exalted into the heaven. You have the riches of self-control. He was tempted that we might be able to overcome. You have the riches of glory. He died that we might be saved. He gave it all for you and for me. So I would say, if you don't know this Christ, first give yourself to him. Pray, God, would you save me? Would you redeem me from my sins? Would you be that gracious redeemer we just heard about? Would you save me? And for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, then let's be reminded and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. You can go ahead and grab your cup. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. This is a reminder of the generosity of our God. I want you to think about this as you take the Lord's Supper today. And, and God's word is clear for us that this is for those that have given themselves first to the Lord. Let's say, yes, I believe that God saved me. That he became poor on my behalf and he died to forgive me of my sins. And so if you're a believer today, if you've made that confession of faith, then take this this morning with joy, remembering our generous God. But if you don't know Christ, then, then I would even say just, just close that back up. It's okay. There's no shame or guilt in that. And just let that pass for today. Because this is for believers. 
And if there are kids in the room today, I, I would say too with parents, if, if your kids haven't believed in the Lord, tell them, hey, to wait on this. Maybe even use this to have a conversation on your way home from church today to talk about the gospel, how Jesus became poor so that they could be rich in him. Is this a chance for us to see the gospel, to confess the gospel? So as we take this little wafer of bread, this is, this is just a small picture of the great generosity of our God who gave up everything for us. He gave his, he gave his own body for us. This is our generous God. So today, today as we take this, let's remember verse 9 of this passage. That though he was rich, he became poor and gave his body for you and for me. He said, take and eat and remember. And this juice that's in here, this is just a, a picture of what Christ did when he gave his blood for us on the cross. Jesus didn't just give a portion of his blood for us. He, he, he gave it all. Jesus didn't just give 10%. If he would have done that, then, then we would be in hell today. But Jesus paid it all. He poured out his blood for you and for me that we could be forgiven of our sins and be saved. And so church, with great joy, let's drink this today remembering him. not called us to do something that you haven't already done and more so. And so Lord, we thank you for your great generosity that brought to us salvation. And may that generosity that you have given stir in our hearts this act of grace that we would grow, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done to the glory of your name. It's in your name that we praise you and thank you. Amen. Let's stand now, let's sing to this generous king.